Thank you for joining us for episode 372 of Live Happy Now. Summer should be all about fun and happiness, so this week we're looking at how to make this your family's happiest summer yet. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm talking with educator and children's emotional health expert, Maureen Healy. Her new book, The Happiness Workbook for Kids, looks at how to navigate the difficult times we're in and create fun, positive experiences for children. She's here today to talk about some of the things we all can do to make this summer happier and healthier for the whole family. Maureen, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thanks for having me. Well, we want to have you on the show because we're kicking off a month-long summer of fun here at Live Happy, and you are all about fun and happiness. So perfect fit. And I wanted to talk to you because, you know, summer is obviously all about fun. That's why we're doing this celebration. But the past couple of years have been so tough on everyone. And why does that make it even more important for us to get really intentional about having fun, not just for our children, but for ourselves this summer? Well, I think, you know, we're all in the process to differing degrees and for differing reasons for bouncing back and becoming resilient. And I think that that resilience is sort of the foundation for emotional health and a happier life. And we all want to become happier. It's just a natural inborn urge. And the more we do that, it seems that every other piece of our life goes well. That's very true. But it can be difficult sometimes because there are people who still feel hesitant or feel like they're just not in a space where fun is is really on the books right now. What would you say to them? Well, I mean, I think they're correct. Their life has cycles. Sometimes the cycles, we want to learn how to expand the cycles that are really joyful and fun. And if we're in a challenging cycle, I mean, we don't necessarily just put a motor on it and fly through it, but we want to move through challenges as rapidly and properly, as quick and easily as we can. And knowing that, you know, whoever's listening, you have power over your thoughts, right? You have power over when you think a thought, you have a feeling and that feeling could be, I'm learning from this. I'm moving in a better direction today. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that you talk about is positive emotional health and how that's the root of becoming happier. I love that because that's exactly what we talk about here. So can you talk about that for children? Where can parents start and what does it mean for children to have positive emotional health? It's a great question. We could spend hours on that. Let's see. What can I say? Well, I wrote a book, The Emotionally Healthy Child for Parents. And then my recent book, The Happiness Workbook for Kids, is really for children so they can have their own emotional ahas because we really want to help them early on understand their emotions and how they work and discover what they can do to express them constructively versus destructively screaming and slamming doors. And we've all done it, but having them make smart choices and then like helping them figure out what direction happier is in, right? So you really can't become happier until you on a consistent basis, know how your emotions work and what you can do with them and have the appropriate relationship to your emotions, knowing that, you know, you're bigger than your feelings. When I work with little kids and they say, oh, I was so angry. I said, did the anger feel bigger than you? They're like, absolutely. So helping them understand they're bigger than their emotions that gives them the power of choice. And what does emotional health look like? I mean, it can look different, but I guess a good way to think of it is emotional health is a skill of balance. 
and it's learning how to get back to your center and get back on balance. And it has to do with flexibility versus rigidity. You want to be able to have that flexible thinking. You know, things happen in our life that are challenging. How do we get back to center and make a good choice in the next moment? So emotional health is being able to find your balance once again and having that emotional toolbox and the thoughts and the people around you that can support you and uh, help move you in the right direction. And I know some parents are like, well, how can I help my child do that? Because I'm a mess right now. A lot of people are very off balance right now. They're still trying to deal with what's happened and the uncertainty of what's going on right now and the greater uncertainty of the future. So Mm -hmm. how can parents who don't feel like they're in a good space help their children discover that positive emotional health? Yeah, it's great. I mean, that's why I wrote the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, or the latest one, The Happiness Workbook for Kids. The biggest feedback I get from parents is like, forget my kids, these are good for me, because it's true. (laughs) Emotional health is a lifelong endeavor, right? It's not a box we check. You know, one week we're learning forgiveness, the next week we're learning like anger management, the next week we're learning tolerance. So it's learning together as a family or as friends that is really helpful and that it's true. Everything does begin in the family. And the more that parents can learn alongside their kids, that's why I really love giving kids like an activity from my workbook and saying, why don't you teach that to me and having them be the boss? Mm. Because all of a sudden they don't even realize that they're learning and it puts them in a position of power. So they feel all jazzed up. So there's creative ways to work with kids so that, you know, that you can learn as well. Oh, I really like that because I think everybody wants a really good summer this year. Everybody feels like we've earned it. We've put in some really rough times. We want this to be something that feels better again. Mm -hmm. And for you, what's a great starting point for such a summer? Well, I think it's like anything in the world. Like if you're flying a plane from New York to LA, you need to know where you're going. So it's kind of like envisioning in your mind, you're creating some sort of like playful map or something, I would say to a child, like, what would be the most fun summer? Like, what would we be doing? And maybe you can't do everything like Disneyland in Paris, but maybe you can put some things on the list that you can do and have things to look forward to. And what's exciting to me may not be exciting to you, but having things that you do together that create positive memories that you can take photographs and put around the house. And also things that, you know, just sort of are joyful. I think fill your happiness bucket. Mm -hmm. And I love that because the art of planning gives you that savoring, that anticipatory Mm -hmm. savoring as you have Mm -hmm. things to look forward to. And that just elevates you way before the event ever happens, no matter how big or small that event is. Mm-hmm. And then if you take pictures of that event, maybe you go to the zoo or a safari or something local. And afterwards, you can see you remind yourself of that event and how much fun you had that immediately boosts your happiness mood, too. Yeah, I've seen a lot of articles, a lot of information about people just leaving pictures from your vacation in your cubicle at work can improve your work day mm-hmm. because, you know, you would think you'd be like, oh, I wish I was there and which you are. But you also have that instant like, oh, those great emotions that are associated with it. Absolutely. So how can parents though, help children bounce back from the challenges of the past couple of years? Because they have been under stress and we do want to move forward. But then there's a lot of processing that needs to be done. And we've had some horrible events happen in the last couple of weeks as well. So what are some tips that parents can use as they move into a lighter mood? But how can they help children process some of the grief, some of the anxiety they might be going through. Yeah, but I don't think it's a magic wand, but I do think there are a few key ideas. One of them is if 
you know, depending on the age of your child, but, you know, oftentimes if it's a scary topic, whether it's a school shooting or something else that's worrying your child, talking about it relieves that stress. So talking about scary things helps lower the stress and you're going to want to do things like you mentioned that lower the stress, lower the anxiety, lower the worry, lower any of the challenging emotions so that they can come back to center and feel calm and make good choices. And part of that is not putting additional stress, not that parents are, but some parents are like, oh, we're going to set you up with Kumon and not that Kumon's bad, but you don't want to <laughs> overschedule the summer either. Do you know what I'm right, saying? Yeah. You want to actually just play and have fun and learn new things. Maybe we garden, maybe we learn how to cook a new meal. We do something that's more organic and joyful and helps us remember that, you know, we actually like each other and this can be fun. And kids are different. So how do you discover what is going to make each child happier at, at their different stages in life? Because I know as a child, what worked for me one summer certainly didn't work the next summer. And I was very different from my sister. So how do you kind of break that down? It's such a great question. And it's funny because as I look at my own life and look at the kids in my life, you know, we're always giving clues, right? Like we're always saying, you know, and allowing kids to wear many different hats. Like you said, maybe one summer it's Girl Scout camp, maybe the next summer it's zoo camp, maybe the next summer it's no camp, but allowing us to try different things and to also, you know, explore. I oftentimes will ask someone, Hey, make a list of all the different things you want to do this summer. And get their own input, have them decide what it is that's going to quote unquote, ring your bell. Like, what is that going to be really cool this summer? Is it doing Lego camp or is it robotics or a maker camp or is it no camp? And you want to learn how to write a book or you want to learn how to design a website, or you really just want to sit in the hammock in the backyard. I mean, you know, giving them options, but I do think certain things, exercise, being in nature, having a creative outlet, something they really love, allowing them to have that free time to do something they love is really important. And how important is it for us to get them outside this year? Because we've been kind of cooped up for a while, but I see now what I'm hearing from parents is the kids don't necessarily want to leave indoors now. You know, they've got games, they've got a lot of social online things that they're addicted to and don't necessarily want to explore the outdoors. So how do we get over that? I think there's a two-part answer to that question. One part is multiple. (laughs) (laughs) I think one part is we have to be really careful as adults because oftentimes children and kids mimic us. And I'm saying that because I'm at fault too. Sometimes I want to do work or I want to watch a movie or I want to, but when I get myself out hiking, oh, I love life. I feel free. There's an ease. So really making an effort and intention. And I don't think it's about forcing kids per se, but I think it is, you know, I'm a big person. I believe in family meetings. Everyone should have a voice. You know, maybe one child just doesn't like to be outside. They like to go to the mall or like to be on the computer, but For the sake of the family, everyone gets a day and they pick something and we all take turns. It's important to be cooperative and it's important to step away from the computer, especially if you have a child that has a hard time or you have a hard time unplugging. I know that our nervous system really gets amped up when we're hooked into whether it's media or online or screens. So getting away, whether it's forest bathing or whatever we want to call it, and just relaxing our nervous system really does so much good for us, for our physical, mental, emotional health. Yeah. And so oftentimes when it was funny, I was interviewing some parents yesterday and they talked about how they have four children and 
say three of them will be in agreement on, yeah, let's go do this. And then one is like, no, I don't want to do it. And she said, so they'll just go ahead and start it. And pretty soon that fourth child comes around because he sees they're having fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now all of a sudden that FOMO kicks in. It's like, well, wait a minute, maybe what I'm doing isn't as great as I thought. Let's get out there and do it. That's great. But let's talk about some of your strategies because obviously you have a whole workbook full of ideas. And one thing I really wanted to jump on is your creativity. You say creativity is a great way to increase happiness. And I was so glad to see that. I've got a very good friend in Cincinnati who teaches creativity for kids classes. Mm -hmm. One thing she said is that she sees kids coming out of the pandemic with a lower creativity level. They've been sitting in front of screens. They haven't been interacting. And she's really having to do a lot more work. So kind of a two-part question is, one, how do we get children's creative juices flowing again? And then why is it so important to practice creativity? So I'm a believer that creativity, we have to be courageous to be creative because you have to be okay with failing. Because when you're creative, there are things that work out and things that don't work out. And that's okay, but you really have to be okay with not always getting it right. So that's important to nurture that, not only growth mindset, but that mindset of progress, not perfection. And then the idea of why is creativity important you know, it's important because it gives us an outlet to express our emotions. That's one. But in another sense, creativity is important because on the very mundane level, like people think they're in competition, right? But when you get to the creative level, it's like there's more than enough space for everyone. Everyone's different. Everyone's unique. Everyone has unique talents. And it allows for that joyful expression of who we are. So that's important. And also creativity If you can trust your instincts, you can trust your creative instincts, you can become a little more intuitive, you can get good instincts, you can be in the right place at the right time. And although it's not directly scientifically tied to happiness, you know, most people who are uber successful have learned how to have trust their instincts. And and I think that makes them happier. So what are some of the things that parents can do to help nurture that creativity and bring it out in their children? Depends on the child. And I think you can be creative in any field. So you can be creative, you know, designing your website. You can be creative in the kitchen, cooking. You can be creative sewing. You can be creative outside. Like right now I'm doing some landscaping. I had some friends and some other kids come by and I said, how would you design this? Like, let's map it out. So there's- I like that. Yeah. So I'm a big believer, like ask kids what they want to do and nurture their interests and allow them to be creative. I think sometimes as adults, we get used to this thing should be done this way, or this is the only way, but look at the world. Adults have gotten us into a few little hiccups here. <laughs> yeah, and, track record's not great lately. <laughs> right. So we really need the creative, innovative solutions from this younger generation. Not that they're going to solve all these big problems of adults right now, but they are able to come up with creative solutions if we ask them and if we give them freedom, if we allow them to sometimes they'll fail and sometimes they'll succeed, but it give them the freedom to come up with new ideas on how to do something. Even if you help them and say, all right, let's decide you're going to have, I don't want to say a vacation day or a fun day off. We're all going to go somewhere. Think of different options and present it to the family, like allow them to really get excited about things I think is important. Yeah. And I love that idea because it feels like there just hasn't been enough to get excited about Mm -hmm. lately. And I think having even small things that they can really, really get excited about is going to be huge. I think what a great emotional boost that's going to be for them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a grand gesture. I just saw someone, they have a, a butterfly exhibit. Well, that's fantastic. It can be something local. It doesn't have to be enormous. Right. It can be a little day at the theme park or mm-hmm. whatever you need. Another thing that you talk about is helping others as a way to boost happiness. And one, this is such a great lesson to teach children. There's just everything about this aspect is fantastic. So can we talk about that? Like, why is it so important to teach our children the happiness quotient of helping others? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, first of all, I think we're all interconnected, right? We're ultimately, if the pandemic has shown us anything, it's shown us that we're in it together. Right. But I would say that, you know, the me, 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 self-centeredness experience that we all sort of start out with as a young person, that just brings us unhappy feelings. But when we begin to extend ourselves, helping your friend with the homework, walking the dog for mom or dad, or doing little things to bigger things, we naturally feel helpful. We feel happier. You know, it just gives you that boost. So recognizing the we, we, we idea of like, we, like we're in it together is really something that can help boost mood. And, you know, as soon as you help someone else, you forget about your own problems. Like you forget what you were worried about, what you were anxious about. So it takes you out of that thing that's been troubling you. It can even be something small like mom or dad, what can I do around the house? And it can even be, you know, some kids are motivated by money. I remember when I was little, this is a silly story, but my parents knew that I always needed a project. I had a lot of energy. They're like, we'll give you, I did. I had a lot of energy. They're like, we'll give you a penny for every weed you pick in the backyard. I'm like, all right, I'll take them all. So (laughs) you can harness what motivates someone and they can be helpful and they can learn. Oh, I actually enjoy doing that. You know? Yeah. That's, oh yeah, that's a great way to do it. And then what kind of skills are you setting them up for the rest of their life? Like when they Mm -hmm. discover, wow, if I'm doing something that's helping others and it makes me happier, I think, how is that going to change the trajectory of of their life? And it also allows them to realize like, I can choose a career later in life or I can choose something to do with my life that feels more fun and more playful and I can actually get paid for it. So, you know, I like that idea because we do need more people who are excited and interested about their work. You know, at Live Happy, we talk a lot about gratitude. So you also talk about gratitude and I was so interested that you talk about starting a child on a gratitude journal because we've only ever discussed it in terms of adulthood. And I Mm -hmm. think maybe teens, but wow. How do you start with a child, start doing a gratitude journal and start them thinking about gratitude from their perspective? Yeah, it's a great idea. I mean, we can certainly harness technology as well. Sometimes they want to take pictures of things they're grateful for. But I mean, I really love Martin Seigelman's Three Good Things Every Night, where you every night before you go to bed, you think of three good things from the day. And oftentimes we'll get up to 10, 15, 20, and it's really awesome and really feel those. But other days it's like, I'm like, okay, I got one. And I'm like waiting and waiting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, all right, two, I'm alive, three, you know, I'm healthy. So I think it's the practice. It's those little habits that help plant the seeds, moving your mind in a more optimistic, positive direction. And also the idea of being grateful. And it's really feeling the feelings of gratitude, really feeling thankful, and then taking it to appreciation, which is demonstrating that gratitude. But I think with kids, it's really, you know, not just writing thank you notes and not thinking about it, but feeling the feeling saying, you know, mom, I'm really thankful for this or saying to your friend, you know, thank you for your help or lending me your pencil, like really meaning it. I think those are important lessons because 
They are lifelong seeds that get planted. And like you said, the more grateful you are, the happier you are. And it's not about, I guess what I'm trying to say also is like kids really mimic us. So for us to do the best we can to develop a gratitude practice, it could be a journal, but it could also be something out loud, driving to school, driving to go get a cup of tea together in the car. You can say, all right, what are we grateful for today? Oh, I don't want to do this. All right, well, do it for me. Help me. You know what I mean? Do it. Make it fun. Yeah. And I was going to ask, so what if you have a child who's too young to write and that's a great age still to instill this practice in them? How would you go about that with younger kids? Well, I would make it really playful. Like what are the five things we can be grateful for that are purple and we can come up with. Oh, I love that. Do you know what I mean? But something that's just they can hold on to that's just silly, but they're beginning that practice. And then you just through the years, move them into a bona fide gratitude practice. Yeah. And to the best of their ability. I mean, right. I'm not a fan of forcing things, but I do believe that when kids like start to do something, something even simple, like three good things, eventually they feel like, or even I've had parents do it like around the kitchen table, everyone pick one nice thing or good thing they can say from the day. It starts to open up the dialogue. Oh, you did that today. Oh, I did this today. Oh, you did that today. And it starts to feel good. Like you have a voice in the family and that's special too. Yeah. I have one friend who he and his wife started this and now they have two young children and it's called what went well. And oh. so every night at dinner, that's what they would do instead of, you know, cause that dinner is a place where you sit down. It's like, Oh my God, you wouldn't believe what happened today. And, and instead it's like, they sit down and go, what went well today? And each person tells what went well. And he says, after doing that, you know, suddenly whatever didn't go well, unless it was really big, you kind of feel silly bringing it up. That's beautiful because I think that those are the small little low hanging fruit practices that make a mighty difference for a child and actually for an adult too, because I think if you don't have, I would say control, but if you can't focus your mind where you want it to go, you know, our minds are, they're like little monkeys. They'll go anywhere. They'll go to what went wrong today. And this went wrong and that went wrong. And I'm afraid of that. What if this happens? It's like, no, 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 no. Let's focus on what went well. And then your mood, you know, boosts up and then you have the courage to handle the challenges. Yeah. And then also you spend your whole day thinking about, okay, what am I going to say tonight? (laughs) You know, so you are going through the day kind of looking for what is going well. Absolutely. You give so many great tips and practices in your book, and it all speaks to your point that becoming happier is a skill. Can you talk about that? How do we start looking at happiness as a skill and taking it on just as if we were going to improve any other skill in our life? Yeah. And I guess I would say an important point that, you know, happiness isn't static. It's dynamic, right? We have days that are lemons and we can make lemonade some days and other days are just lemons. So the idea of becoming happier, which would be better than before and improving our mood is a skill. So it's just like we said with your friend who did the what went well. It's like we can intentionally and consciously make choices on what to think. And even when things are really stinky, you know, we can say, oh, well, I won't do that again. You know, we can learn. I remember once years, decades ago, I showed up somewhere and I had one shoe was brown and one shoe was blue. I was like, oh my goodness. (laughs) So, I mean, we all do silly things and just you know, focusing our mind that, you know, happier is a skill. It's a practice learning how to do the things that if you think of your emotional toolbox that you put in your toolbox, when you need to feel calm, you do X, Y, you have a whole bunch of tools there to get calm. When you're feeling angry, this is what lowers your anger. When you're feeling sad, maybe you write in your journal or talk to a friend or just take a nap and wake up and feel better. You know, I mean, you do things that allow emotions to 
go through you and that there are no bad emotions. It's just really what you do with them. They're sort of all signposts to what's going on inside. And beginning to understand how those emotions work is really why I wrote the happiness workbook for kids, because it is a skill. It is. I know from my own life, you do certain practices, think certain thoughts, allow yourself to realize that you do have the power to become happier and then you become happier. That's fantastic. And can you tell us a little bit about the workbook? Because we are doing a giveaway. People can, after the interview, I'll tell them how they can go sign up to be part of the giveaway. And we'll also put it on our website. Uh, But tell us about the workbook and what it's like and what parents can expect from it. Great question. So I divided the workbook into three sections. The first is understanding your emotions. And the second is expressing your emotions, meaning like expressing them constructively, making smart choices with them, even the tricky ones. And then the third section is becoming happier. So really, like we talked about, you know, gratitude, lots of different practices that help you become happier. The happiness workbook for kids is interesting because it helps children go through it and have their emotional ahas, but it's also something that parents can go through and get some ideas. And the other thing that I was so excited and interested is a lot of teachers have been using it in the classroom. Oh, that makes sense. So that I love because there are certain activities, whether it's a smart choice, which I explain as it's good for you and good for others. For example, you know, a choice for you to get your anger out is screaming, but it's not good for the whole class. (laughs) (laughs) So it's learning how to make smart choices. And oftentimes, you know, parents have to help the younger kids. Like what are some smart choices at school? If you feel big emotions or what are some smart choices at home? Because I do believe that if you can prepave the path and help children identify the choices they have, they can make better choices. But sometimes, you know, they're not thinking and they're reacting so quickly that it's just knee-jerk reactions. So it's helpful to go through the activities. And the book that works with this book, I wrote before this book was The Emotionally Healthy Child, and that's for adults. And this is really the translation of that book for children. It's really how to give kids the ideas directly that can help them have those emotional ahas and realize that they're powerful co-creators. They can choose to become happier if they want. And it may take some practice like teachers and books and assistants, but I'm a big believer that anyone, nearly anyone can do it. That's so encouraging. I love hearing that. And this is a skill that we just do not talk about enough. I love that teachers are picking this up, but I think what a great way to change the world is by teaching the children this skill of how to become happier. So thank you so much for the work you're doing for creating this book and this path. And I think a lot of us adults are going to take it because we need the ideas (laughs) (laughs) and we'll use them for ourselves. But again, thank you for coming on the show and talking about it. Thank you for having me. That was Maureen Healy talking about how to make this summer happier for your entire family. If you'd like to follow Maureen on social media or learn more about her books, visit our website at livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab. And throughout July, we're celebrating Live Happy's Summer of Fun Month. And as part of that, we're giving away some prize packs that include great Live Happy merchandise, Maureen's new book, The Happiness Workbook for Kids, and some other very cool family-friendly gifts. Visit our website or follow us on social media to learn more and find out how to enter. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.